generosity this idea of being having a good eye as opposed to an evil eye that gives light to the whole body it's about generosity because that is the opposite of stinginess for most of us we have a tendency to be hoarders of blessing to be stingy to be close-handed and every once in a while we have flourishes of generosity and the reality is, is the way we're supposed to live is supposed to be exactly reverse we're supposed to be generous by default Several years ago, the Pay It Forward movement gained popularity. It was all about paying back the kindnesses shown to you by doing something kind or generous for someone else. In today's teaching, Pastor Daniel explains that for those who walk with Jesus, generosity shouldn't be just a once-in-a-while event, but a way of life. You'll discover that instead of being stingy or self-focused, God wants your life to be marked by extravagant giving. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 6 as he continues his message, Treasuring. So I had this old orange Volkswagen, very cool looking, and I'm like, I'm going to get me a sound system in it. So whereas my friends, they had like that hard hip hop, that heavy bass coming out, I had Pink Floyd coming out of that thing. It's like hearing dark side of the moon from like five miles away. It's like that slow, warm, muffler Volkswagen sound and then, you know, dark side of the moon. And it, it was cool. And I had this great Volkswagen stickers. I mean, it's very Portlandish anyway, but I was in New Jersey, you know. It had all these great stickers on it, right? It's a great car, super cool. You always knew when I showed up. And I remember this was back in the day when a gallon of gasoline was 89 cents. I could fill up my Carmen Ghia for five bucks and drive all week. It was good times, right? And I remember this car was just like, it's who I was. It's like, I'm the man in this car. And I remember I used to wash it once a week. And I used to pop off the little rims, which were chrome. And I would spray paint black the hubcap. And so that chrome popped. Oh, it's so nice. And I remember one day I was washing the car. And on the driver's side, rear wheel well, all of a sudden, I noticed it the paint popped out a little bit. Now, back in New Jersey, where I was from, when you had those old Volkswagens, they'd throw all that salt down on the road to try and break the ice up in the wintertime. That would get underneath the paint. What would it do? It'd start to rust the body. And you knew when you got that little pop, those of you guys who work on cars, you got the little pop in your paint, you know what it means. It means your car's starting to rust. See, anything that nature can destroy, that's a treasure on earth. I had a very cool car. I loved it. I thought I was the man in it, and I think I may have been, actually, you know. But the reality is, is that nature was devaluing my car. And right as that rust popped, I knew what it meant. My car's days of looking nice was numbered. So when it says moth or rust can destroy, what is the natural way that it can be devalued? Now, where thieves break in and steal, This is the human way of devaluing something. This means a lot to us because a lot of people are upset with major banks. Nobody was upset when they were making money 10% hand over fist on their 401ks. But after everything went on in the economy, now everyone's mad at the banks. 
It was great when we were making money, but now that we're losing money, it's your fault, right? Now, isn't that for hypocrisy? But that's a whole other discussion. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is our heart's treasure in things that either nature can devalue or that humans can devalue? That's how you know if your heart is bent on treasures on the earth. That's how you know. Can the course of nature ruin your treasure or can a human ruin your treasure? That's how you know. Jesus says, do not lay up those things. But instead, he says, lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor where thieves can break in and steal. What is a treasure in heaven? It's any temporal activity that has eternal consequences. It's any activity we can do in the here and now that has eternal consequences. As I like to say, and my best piece of investment advice for you all is that the economy of God's kingdom is always in a bull market. The economy of God's kingdom is always in a bull market. The greatest investment any of us can ever make is in the work of God in people's lives. That is the best investment. Amen. It's the best investment. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, Peter is talking about this treasure in heaven, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. See, God wants us to make eternal investments in things that are truly valuable. Things like a Christ-like character, hope, love, faith, that the message of Jesus would permeate our culture and the entire globe. The knowledge of Jesus, prayer, witnessing, these are the treasures in heaven that nobody can take away from you. See, and then Jesus, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, this is where it boils down to. Because the issue is our hearts, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. It's interesting that Jesus is not so much concerned with our wealth as he is with our loyalty. It's a loyalty issue. Where is your treasure today? See, whatever your heart's treasure is, you will be transformed into whatever it is. If acceptance is your treasure, you're going to spend all your life trying to make people accept you. If it's money, you're going to spend all your time, all your energy to do that. We become consumed by that for which we worship. All of us do. Jesus wants our loyalty. That's what he wants. So the issue is within our hearts. Now from there, look at what he says in verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Now, Jesus just says, lay up treasures in heaven, right? And then he closes that section with, you can't serve two masters. So you can't serve God and mammon is wealth personified. And then in between, he has this weird thing about the lamp of the body is the eye, right? And most people, when they read it, they're like, Jesus is jumping all over the place. Like, what's he talking about now? Let me explain this to you, because this reality that the lamp of the body is the eye, it's very specific to Jewish culture to understand what this is. Now think about it. The eye connects the outside world with your inner life. That's what it is. The eye is the primary bridge between the outside world and what goes on inside your heart. For most of us, if you have the ability to see, which most people do, that is the primary way. Sure, we use our ears. Sure, we use our senses, our taste. But the eye is the primary bridge. Now, for somebody who doesn't have the gift of sight, the other senses get heightened. But primarily, the eye is the bridge between what is outside us and what is inside us. Okay, so when Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye, if therefore the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. He's saying, look, The eye gate is the bridge between the outside world and what's going on inside. And if that eye is good, then your life will be light. Walking in the light as he is in the light. But then he says, if your eye is evil. Now, this is where it gets unique. Because this idea of the evil eye, you find it a number of places in the Old Testament. If you look at places like Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 9 to 11. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 22. You read things like this. this is Proverbs 28, 22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches. Listen to Deuteronomy 15, verse 9. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing. He cried out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. In the Old Testament, the evil eye, it's a Hebraism. It's the way they talked about being selfish, being stingy. Jesus picks up on this in Matthew chapter 20. Do you remember the parable where Jesus talks about a man who is a, owns a vineyard, and it comes time for harvest, and he goes out in the morning, and he invites people to come work? And his vineyard's like, I'll pay you a denarius. Then a couple hours later he goes, and he gets more and he gets more. And then at the very end of the day, he gets some people said, listen, come and work for me and I'll pay you. And when it came time to pay up, he started with the people who had only been working an hour and he gave them the same amount as the people who worked all day. Do you remember that parable in Matthew 20? Listen to how the landowner responds to the people who are upset with him, upset with him for paying the same amount for people who worked only one hour or who worked all day. He said this. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse 13. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So this idea of the evil eye, it meant to be covetous, to be envious, to be stingy. So this good eye, bad eye, or better term, evil eye, this is a Hebraism to teach us one important thing, and that's this. Generosity is the key to light living. Generosity is the key 
to light living. Now, I know most people would say right living, but Jesus says if your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. So I'm using light living. It's about generosity. This idea of being, having a good eye as opposed to an evil eye that gives light to the whole body. It's about generosity because that is the opposite of stinginess. For most of us, we have a tendency to be hoarders of blessing, to be stingy, to be close-handed. And every once in a while, we have flourishes of generosity. And the reality is, is the way we're supposed to live is supposed to be exactly reverse. We're supposed to be generous by default. That's how we are meant to be. That's what the good eye is all about. The good eye that gives light to the whole body. So generosity is the key to light living. And then Jesus closes this section out in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So it began with a heart issue, right? The issues in our hearts. And now I'm here to tell you it's a lordship issue. It's a lordship issue. In every person's heart, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, secular, whatever, there is a throne in every person's heart. Every person who has ever lived, there is a place of sovereignty, a king in every heart. Now, because Jesus is talking about wealth, he says, look, you can't serve two masters. Because one of them is going to get the upper hand. You cannot serve God and mammon. And most scholars would say that mammon is wealth personified. You can't serve both. One will always have the position of authority. And this is true for each one of us. There is a God in your heart, whether you like it or not. And that's just not like a religious concept. This is a human reality. And the key really to beginning any sort of walk of any spiritual persuasion begins with the ability to understand who is the Lord of my life. What is the God of my heart? See, we live in a day and age, it's fascinating, where, you know, entertainment isn't bad in and of itself, but we live in a culture that is so entertained that we've actually lost the ability to actually be introspective even a little bit. Most people spend most of their time trying to figure out how they can go viral on the internet rather than even looking at what's inside their own hearts. And it's a skill that is in short supply in 21st century America. We lack self-reflection. We lack the ability to say, what are the driving principles of my life? But even if we're not aware of them, there is still a Lord in everybody's heart. There is still a Lord. And it's a lordship issue. So you get to this point, right? Jesus says, listen, don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay them up in heaven. Be generous in the way that you are. You can't serve two masters. And someone will always say then, well, Pastor Daniel, what do I do with my money? What do I do? And I would simply say this. It's a simple saying. I heard it long ago. I'm so blessed for it. Don't serve your money. Serve the Lord and your money will serve you. I'm going to say it again. You can write it down if you want. Do not serve your money. Let your money serve the Lord, and then your money will serve you. As we allow our money to serve God, we will be taken care of. We will be taken care of. But for most of us, we are serving our money. When you read 
You can't serve God and mammon. If we're really honest, all of us struggle with this on some level. We make a million decisions based on serving money rather than serving the Lord. I'm not preaching down on anybody. I'm living this with you guys. I got a wife. I got kids. I know what it's like. So I'm not here saying I got this licked. I'm saying, hey, look, I'm a traveler on this path with you guys. And I was really convicted this week reading this. Because I'm like, you know, if I'm really honest, I want to serve mammon. And I want to serve God. I want to be able to live a nice, comfortable American dream life. But I still want that veneer of spirituality. I want that veneer of following Jesus. And when I read Jesus saying something so definitive as, you cannot serve two masters, I'm like, man, Jesus, come on. Give me a break, you know? I kind of like it this way. Don't serve your money, brothers and sisters. Let your money serve the Lord and your money will take care of you. I guarantee this because Jesus is not going to mess us up. Now, from there, all right, we've made this great case, right? Money's not the problem. Our hearts are the problem. We should be generous. It's a lordship issue. And then inadvertently what happens is that for a moment, we embrace it with our hearts. We get super excited. We're like, yes, I know that this is the truth. The Spirit of God is saying this is the truth. And then you take a step of faith and you do something reckless and then all of a sudden you have seller's remorse, right? I have a great example of this. I remember when I first got saved and God got my life together, I was playing music professionally. And I remember at that time I was studying jazz and I was playing jazz and you don't go into jazz for the money, okay? It's like nobody plays jazz for the money. You can be in a rock band, you can go up there and play five songs, a half hour set and make a little bit of money. For jazz, you pay for three hours and they pay you 40 bucks. And maybe if you're lucky, they give you an appetizer, you know? So you don't go into playing jazz for the money, right? But it was interesting that, and anybody who plays music as a career knows that when you get a recording gig hired in, now there's some money in that. And I remember I got called from a studio. I mean, I was 21 years old, just out of college, just starting to walk with the Lord. I remember I got a call from a studio being like, hey, Daniel, you know, can you come on in? I have this recording project, singer-songwriter there. I'm like, great, yeah, when are the dates? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how much does it pay? And they told me how much it paid. And I said, hey, now we got some career prospects. You know, it was like compared to 50 bucks for three hours, this was like, Nice. And I remember I started this recording project. It was super fun. I'd been in the studio before, but this was the first time I was doing it and getting paid for it. And I remember after the third session, they gave me a check. And I'm like, wow, this is nice. This is like what the real world is like. And I remember I went to church that night and I was just pumped and worship and the word. And they were just talking about they were going to build a new youth center so that all the young people could hear about Jesus and they were going to take a special offering for it. And I felt like the Lord would be like, yeah, you want those young people to get saved? I'm like, yeah. And I took that, and I'm like, I had this big check in my pocket. I took it out. Offering came. I signed, paid to the order, put the church's name on it, and I dropped it in, and I felt like a million bucks. I'm like, yeah, young people, come to hear about Jesus. And I was so excited, and then what happened was I got home. <laughs> and I thought to myself, holy cow. What was I thinking? And then I woke up the next morning and I called the church. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mistakenly dropped the check into the offering basket. Seller's remorse, right? 
None of you know what that's like, I'm sure, right? And then I felt convicted. I'm like, well, you know what? Listen, I didn't really drop it in. Because what happens? You hear all this stuff about being Jesus-like, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm going to sow up treasures in heaven. And then you do something kind of Jesus-like, and then all of a sudden you freak out because what am I doing? And what happens? Worry sets in, Right? For all of us. When you try and live like Jesus, when you're totally used to living a different way, all of a sudden you get, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? And so Jesus gives us verses 25 to 34. In application, I got five keys to understanding worry for you out of these verses. Because I know that what I'm asking you to do is gonna be something that is gonna create some heart dissonance in your life if you choose to follow Jesus rather than the American way. I realize that. And Jesus realizes that. So right away, Jesus teaches us about worrying. It's fascinating. In these verses, three times, in verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34, we get a therefore. And what do I always say? What's it there for? When you see a therefore, you say, what's it there for? It's always drawing a conclusion. Because of this radical new reality that we're supposed to be laying up in treasures in heaven and not on earth. We're supposed to be generous instead of being stingy, that we can only serve one master, and that master is meant to be the Lord. Jesus says three times, therefore, do not worry. Do not worry. So what I have for you is I have three reasons not to worry, and then I have two things to do instead of worrying. Let's look at it. In verse 25, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for, the, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now, first, in verse 25, Jesus begins by knowing what he just taught, the reality that people are going to worry, what are we going to eat and what are we going to wear? Jesus is real. Change is hard especially when it comes to doing something differently than you've always done it. In today's message, Pastor Daniel shares that choosing to live generously can be scary. You discovered that God knows this and has given you several promises to help you stay the course. You can trust that He is enough and will provide for you and your family as you choose to follow Him in being generous. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus' Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus' Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at jesusisrealradio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel talks about worry. You'll learn that worry doesn't do anything good for you. It doesn't change your circumstances at all. It just makes you miserable and keeps you from making good decisions. When you live in the reality that you're valuable to God, you can rest in the knowledge that God knows what you really need and He has your back. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, Mission Growing. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.